Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So tonight we are discussing the 21st chapter of the Dhammapada, which is the Pakan Kavaga, or the greater and lesser happiness is, it feels like that the plural, that should be something else, happinesses, um, at any rate, which really answers the, to some extent, the questions that Tom was probing Saturday about why do we practice this Eightfold Path? And, and what, what is in it for us around abandoning those things that are unskillful and developing the things that are skillful. And it really comes down to these two items of the greater and lesser happinesses. So let's jump into it. The, the Buddha's words. It is by releasing the bond to lesser happiness that the wise develop the greater happiness. The wise understanding the greater renounce the lesser. So what is what is he talking about here? And if you think about the lesser happinesses, he's talking about sensual pleasure. He's talking about phenomena contacting the senses. He's talking about our passion for those phenomena, our passion for that contact, the feelings that we develop for that contact. It is through that contact and through those sensual pleasures that we get entangled in the world. We get wrapped up in our desires. We get wrapped up in our attachments. And we continually seek for happiness in those sensory phenomenological contact points. We don't realize that all of that sensory contact is impermanent. And that which is impermanent is not self. That which is not self is dukkha, which is stress, which is suffering. And it's, it's in the very act of delight that suffering exists because it's going to end. We're going to continually go through this cycle of contact, of feeling, of craving, of clinging to maintain those sensory experiences when you think about that and you blow that out to your life, you think about all these things that, that, that I've chased, that you've chased, looking for experience, looking for pleasure. And at some point you realize it's hollow. And so what do we do about that? And what are, what are these, these greater happinesses? It's restraint at the point of contact. It's seclusion. We've, we've been talking the last few classes about being an island. It's concentration. It's peace. It's calm. It's, it's the opposite of craving and clinging. And you, you, you realize that all of these lesser happinesses are extrinsic. They're, they're not native to you. There's something external to your experience. 
while the greater happinesses are intrinsic, they come from you. And it's through the Eightfold Path that the wise understanding the greater are able to renounce the lesser because you realize at the point of contact, I am interacting with impermanent phenomena that is never gonna bring me happiness. By being restrained, by being secluded, by being well concentrated, my mind is at peace and at calm. The Buddha continues, those entangled by the bonds of hate, seeking happiness while hurting others, can never be released from hatred. And again, it's our passion that fuels that hatred. Passion for that sensory contact, passion for those lesser happinesses. It's reckless. It's hurtful to ourselves. It's hurtful to others. And it's never skillful. And we, we become entangled in this world through our passion. And so hatred never ends hatred. And happiness can't be sought. The goal is to remain harmless to oneself. In so doing, you remain harmless to all others. The Buddha continues, the defilements only increase for the arrogant and mindless who avoid what is skillful and join with what is unskillful. The defilements cease for those with refined mindfulness who clearly understand Four Noble Truths, who practice jhana, abandon what is unskillful, and develop what is skillful. And again, the defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking are predicated on that craving and clinging from that sensory contact with phenomena. It's the manifestation of dukkha. It's the manifestation of stress and suffering. And it's through perpetual eye-making that one is continually defiled. I need this thing, whatever that thing is. I need this to be the same. I need this to be different. Wanting something to be other than what it is, is stress. And so we join with that eye-making, with the object, and that becomes us. We join with our suffering. And so our experience is now conflated with the object, with this phenomena. That's wrong view. That's unskillful and it's harmful to yourself. The Eightfold Path starts with right view. You have to have this initial understanding around the nature of this phenomenological experience to start developing the skillful nature of the path that leads to your disentanglement with sensory contact that leads to the development of solitude and seclusion where that phenomenon no longer has an impact on you. In seeing clearly with right view and holding the right intention, one abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful. The whole path, all eight steps, each one of those steps, there are activities associated with them that point to developing a skillful presence in your life, a skillful way to engage with your life. And if there's a right view, there's a wrong view or an unskillful way. 
holding the view that I am this, I, this is me, this is mine, this is who I am is wrong view. That's hurtful to you and it's hurtful to others. And it takes concentration developed through jhana to remain harmless, to remain restrained at the, the point of contact. And it takes jhana to develop the Eightfold Path. In the next two stanzas, the Buddha dips into metaphor, uh, which I find interesting that remain harmless to all living beings unless it's in metaphor, and then you can do whatever you want, which is funny to me. But anyway, the Buddha continues, the disciple having slain mother and father, two warrior kings, a tiger, and conquered a country, travels at peace. The disciple, having slain mother and father, two warrior kings, a tiger, and conquered a country, travels without regret. And in this metaphor, mother and father represent craving rooted in eye-making. Craving rooted in eye-making gives birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. Two warrior kings represent extreme views, ignorant of the Four Noble Truths, ignorant of stress and suffering. The tiger represents the hindrances, again, the the actual manifestation of the defilements. And a country represents the sixth sense base. So at that point of contact. And so if we play that back, if you've uprooted conceit and eye making, if you're grounded in right view, if you're not hindered, if you're not defiled by greed, aversion, or deluded thinking, and you have restraint at the sixth sense base, your passage through your life is peaceful without regrets. It's our wrong view that pre prevents our lasting peace and happiness. It's the hindrances that prevent the development of concentration. It is contact with the sixth sense base that drives those less, lesser pleasures or happinesses. And so seeing with right view, the wise abandon the lesser and develop the greater. And the Buddha continues, the disciple always happily awakens who constantly takes refuge in the Buddha. The disciple always happily awakens who constantly takes refuge in the Dhamma. The disciple always happily awakens who constantly takes refuge in a well-focused Sangha. This is a reference to the triple refuge. Trust that another human being has awakened, that he left this path of practice for us to follow, and that he has other like-minded individuals to practice alongside of us. And the Buddha continues, the disciple always happily awakens who constantly practices the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the breath and the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of thoughts, and mindfulness of the present quality of mind. The disciple always happily awakens who constantly delights in metta, loving kindness, goodwill, generosity, compassion. You could add those to the list of the greater happinesses as well. The disciple always happily awakens who constantly practices jhana. We become more concentrated. We develop mindfulness. We have a mind of equanimity, which means that it is unfettered. It is un, 
bothered. It is, it is not bothered by that sensory contact. And we are joyfully engaged with our practice. And the Buddha continues, the life of the disciple is difficult and hard to delight in. The living death of ignorance is difficult and full of sorrow. Association with the unwise brings suffering. Wandering in confusion and delusion is suffering. Do not wander aimlessly maintaining the distraction of suffering. In John's words here, which I, I, I love, the Eightfold Path is not intended to be an escape from reality through continued fabricated views. Right effort, the sixth factor of the path, guides and informs a wise and content engagement of the entire path. So there's no sugarcoating here <laughs> on this path of practice. And it might be simple in structure, but it's not always easy to practice. But developing that skillful approach to lives is far better than the living death of ignorance. And so bouncing between lesser, lesser pleasure, always craving for more, clinging to what is and avoiding what is unwanted, not just dukkha, but the distractions we use to avoid dukkha, not understanding the mechanics of this process, one wanders aimlessly. That is the living death of ignorance. And it's through the Eightfold Path that one finds direction and delight while avoiding this living death. The Buddha continues, with conviction, the disciple is endowed with virtue, good repute, and knowledge. They are always respected. To get conviction, you first need intention. When intention develops into right intention, becomes skillful, it strengthens into resolve, and then resolve into conviction. It's the abandonment of doubt and uncertainty through direct experience. Nobody else has experienced your direct experience. And it's the development of right view, right intention, right action, right speech, and right livelihood. The disciple shines from a great distance like the snowy Himalayan mountains. Fools are not seen like an arrow at night. Wisdom is clear, bright, it does not hide, and it remains harmful. Fools or ignorance are dangerous, they're deceptive, and you can't see them coming, and they're harmful to themselves and others. The disciple, having established seclusion with right effort, restrains themselves alone, delights in solitude. And again, that seclusion is a quality of mind resting in jhana. Seclusion is a quality of mind free of worldly entanglements. Seclusion is an island unto ourselves that we can carry off our cushions out into the world. And we surround ourselves with right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. And we abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful, which is the task of right effort. We become calm, peaceful, and equanimous, having developed wisdom and virtue. The lesser happinesses make no contact with the island of greater pleasures that we have developed for ourselves. It's the end of the teaching. Um.
Thank you. Jane, I think you were first tonight. How are you? It's a rowdy crowd out here in the uh, web. <laughs> I could tell. Uh, that was very good. I could listen to you speak all night. It's just, <laughs> you're just so clear and it just flows. Um, I like what you said near the very beginning about extrinsic versus intrinsic. I mean, the things, the lesser happinesses all have to do with extrinsic you know, phenomena and our response to them. Whereas our greater happiness is going to come from what we do intrinsically, you know, by our, our developing our refined mindfulness. And so I find that very helpful. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Well, thank you, Brian. That was very uh, succinct and articulate. Thank you. Um, I, I, I'll uh, maintain silence this evening. Thank you. Are you, flying, are you flying solo tonight, Jeff? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll go around the, the room then. Like, where do I go? Oh, there we go. You, Laura? Go Laura? Ram? you got Laura? Laura or Rom, whichever you want to go first there. Laura first. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, just let me know if you can't hear me. Um, could you could you talk a little bit about like I know we have before, but wise restraint at the the sixth sense base because so I get so much joy out of things that I experience like you know at the sensory level, obviously like I don't know the smell of summer pines or like looking at a wildflower or whatever or I don't know embracing a loved one and mm -hmm. I understand it's our clinging to those things and wanting them to be you know permanent but then you were saying something about um you know like delighting in, in permanent phenomena bringing unhappiness you know that lesser happiness I, could you just talk a little bit more about the wiser strength and at the sixth sense base yeah, I think it's 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 recognizing that all of those phenomena that you just listed are impermanent, and they're going to end. And you you touched on it, right? It's your clinging and maintaining the the phenomena itself, or the thought of the phenomena, versus just having the experience for the sake of the experience and being with the experience without adding anything to it or taking anything away from it. And absolutely hold a loved one and feel that the the second arrow comes if you will if you're still wanting that long after it's passed and that's not what's happening in the moment right or or the wildflowers or the sunset or what have you right and it it's the wise restraint is just in the the moment by moment experience understanding with with the con concentration developed in jhana that this is impermanent. This is not self. Yeah. And that which is impermanent and which is not self or expressed. It doesn't mean that the thing is bad, right? You can you can have a pleasant experience, you can have an unpleasant experience, you can have a neutral experience, right? But that's that's just what they are. They don't have to be anything other than that. Yeah, the pure pleasure of smelling the pine or, or the right. trace of a loved one is the pleasure. We're human beings and we should take pleasure in those things. Yeah. We don't have to we don't have to own them, we don't have to color them in any way. 
it's not like the being present in this moment. Bad, like obviously. It's no, not. it's not. It's it's our humanity. So it's, right, it's our humanity. Yeah. And, but it's yeah, and then recognizing the impermanence makes it all the more beautiful in a way. So yeah, thank you, Brian. I think the uh, the 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 challenge is there's the contact. And then there's what we do in our head about that contact. Right, right. Where the I comes in, right? Like, I like this. I want more of this. I need this to stay this way. That's where the suffering exists, not at the, the point of contact per se. But right. if you don't have that restraint and concentration, dependent origination is just going to carry you away. And you're going to be giving birth to another moment of ignorance. I, I think, hey, Brian, I, I think mm -hmm. one of the most insidious lesser pleasures is delusion. We just love not mm -hmm. knowing. And <laughs> if you know how this works, then, of course, everything is open to enjoy. Yeah. But to have ignorance is doomed you to that cycle of mm -hmm. being disappointed that the flowers aren't there. So uh, this was this was a really important sutta for me. And the first thing I thought of was that delusion is really what gets me, mm -hmm. that not knowing. Can you say more about that? What do you mean by not knowing? That my conditioned thinking is that ignorance. So this practice allows me to understand exactly what Brian just taught us, that without that, I will always be chasing, wanting things to be different, wanting things to be in a certain way, versus now I have a little insight that allows me just to enjoy the moment. What is that insight into specifically? The insight is the nature of the the three marks of existence. Yeah. That's and the three defilements. And the three defilements. That that delusion that I recognize my delusion. So therefore the practice, the right effort, as Brian described it, intention, that's <clears throat> that's the key for not giving up these things that you can <clears throat> that's the key for restraint. Key for restraint. It's not a bad thing. Oh, restraint. So was asking, so restraint is understanding. Where does restraint come in when there's a nice smell or the, the hug of a loved one or mm. a beautiful flower? Where, where, where does that restraint begin? Exactly. And it begins right. on your cushion. Yeah. And it's established in right view as you move through each moment of your life, because now you smell the pine, and you, that's it. You're, yeah. and, and as you're as you're flowing through the winds of change, that's a good, you know, it's both a metaphor and a practical example of that. Okay, that was it. Now you're into the next moment of your life. If you weren't present for that, if your mind, like you were talking about what the Korean man said, you know, be present there. If you weren't, it doesn't matter where you are, you could be surrounded by these beautiful pines. You wouldn't smell them because you're distracted. Okay, that's it. Yeah. And I'm present for that. I'm present for this experience. Life, which is the key to happiness, right? <clears throat> to, be, to be present. I guess I'm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the example of that, 
pine even in there. It's, it's the moment that you smell the pine and, and you start to identify or, or, or attach to that, there, there it is. And, and we go back to the sensation of breathing. You may smell the pine the next moment. It doesn't, it, it's actually not the same smell that you just smelled if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. And you may even want to bring up that is a nice pine we're smelling to everybody, isn't it? Pine tree smelling like a pine tree. That's a nice thing. It comes and it goes, and you're back in the moment with the person who's going to say something or what they're going to do. But in your own head, if you're still, wow, that pine tree, wow, I just can't get off that smell of that pine tree. Wow, there you go. You just worked yourself up into something Can we find that's more? just existing. It's yeah. just smelling. It's You're smelling it. Yes, you'll smell it again with every breath if you are near the pine tree. If you took 10 steps behind you, you might not smell it anymore, but are you still thinking about the pine tree? Sorry to get into riddle, but that's kind of what it's like. It's, it's a very, very subtle identification with the phenomenon. Can you sit there, smell the pine tree, observe the pine tree, perhaps mention it in the moment? This is a fine moment with everybody. Now we have another moment. Where, where are we going with the moment? Are we pulling the pine tree back or are we actually in the moment and allowing the next moment to arise? That was cool. Yeah, that's got there. Thanks. Dhamma so, practice prepares you for that. You, you can't, if you've already lost your mind over something, then the only thing you can do is to bring it back. But the way to not have to go there is Dhamma practice. So your mind is already resting and calm and you're seeing things through right here. You know, you're, you're always in this, this state of wise restraint of non identification with any phenomenon. Right. You know, like you talk, sometimes I mention it this way that. A fully awakened, fully mature person no longer has any one of their thoughts hinged by dukkha and covered by dukkha. Mm -hmm. Until that occurs, and it's different for everybody, but until that occurs, every thought is somehow, somewhat tinged by dukkha. And so practice is to recognize that as it arises and prepare ourselves so it doesn't arise anymore. Mm -hmm. So again, back on our cushion, back into doubt practice. And it, what Brian said, uh, you really did a great job, Brian, on this this chapter, um, and I I picked up on that intrinsic and extrinsic, extrinsic, and really that what is intrinsic is what we actually own. That's the only thing we could ever own. We own seclusion. We own concentration. We own calm. We just have to develop it within ourselves. But the stuff that is out there. The pine tree, the embrace of a loved one, the smell of a flower, whatever else it might be, that those are things that are just part of the phenomenal world. We can't we can't own those. You know, they're not part of our they're part of our human existence, but they're not part of our humanity. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? I mean, does it get you going anyway? Oh, uh, well, the the questions continue. <laughs> um, I mean, what what is it to remember then? To what? What is it to remember? What is looking at a photograph? What is it to recall past experience? Brian. Um, I just practiced wise restraint. I was going to say something crass, and I didn't. So yay me. Um, <laughs> Put it in the chat box. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
there is no chatter i would yeah I, again, I think it's I think that's okay, right? But if you're going back and craving that experience and reliving that experience and pulling that experience back into the present moment, you're no longer experiencing the present moment. Um, and I, I find myself just personally, I don't I don't spend a lot of time reminiscing. I don't spend a lot of time future casting anymore. Um, just because those are all for all intents and purposes rooted in greed aversion and deluded thinking not not every case right there's practical things that we have to do we have to plan it's good to go back and look at memories and whatnot but again getting wrapped up and attached in that moment that's already gone and oh at this point in time i had such and such a an experience and it was great or it wasn't great you're not in the present moment per se yeah it's, it's an odd thing that today many people look at the average person's smartphone they probably have 16,000 pictures on and a lot of people live their whole life having to take a picture of everything that occurs and it's a, it's nice to have pictures of you know when you were a little kid and your parents etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but then why you know I always I always wondered why people um, kept huge photo albums and I mean even the I remember going over people's houses and used to drive me crazy and they'd bring out their photo albums and make them look at oh, yeah. page after page after yeah. yeah and I and I'm and I'm talking to my future ex-wife saying what the hell are you doing <laughs> I said time to go I, I, I can never think of something more boring than doing that except in very special occasions like the, you know the picture of my uncle you know but i might look at that once every 30 years um it is just because we had the ability to take pictures doesn't mean we needed to create great albums of our lives did we? you know and there's nothing wrong with it but what am i doing with it why do i put so much power in a, in a picture in an image of something that's long past nice remembrance but what what's more important is to be present for this moment rather than I'm not, and you don't necessarily drag the past into the present when you're looking at a picture but we often do don't we we might look at a picture of a dead loved one and start feeling horribly sad when that that feeling of grieving should have moved through us a long time ago. i was just mentioning someone who lost a loved one over a year ago and they're still having such a very difficult time with it. And again, that's, that's somewhat common, but it also doesn't jive very well with reality. You know, and, and what I mean is understanding fully, full human maturity. You know, people die. And it's, it's wonderful that they're in your life. Like I still have fond memories of my mother and father, um, but I don't wish they were still here or anything like that it's, yeah. it's just a pleasant memory and, and so when that fond recollection comes in comes into your mind you know i think john you say this is simply what's occurring you know this what is I, simply what's occurring in your mind yes and i appreciate the memory for what it is that i have a human mind that can remember i still remember my mother's smile I'm, I'm, it's, uh, that's part of my humanity but I don't need to see my mother right now. I don't need to see that picture right now. 
it's enough that I was fortunate enough to have this wonderful woman in my life, period. Not, and again, it's, you could say it's a subtle fine line between dragging a picture around or carrying a picture around with you all the time and getting caught up into um, somber reminiscing rather than just remembering. Like, you got your handy up now. Well, like, shut me up. Good. What is remembering? What is memory? Is quality of mind. So, fourth foundation of mindfulness: be mindful of your quality of mind as it's arising and passing. So, the quality of mind belongs to impermanence, just like the picture, just like the person, just like the thought, just like the feeling, just like the sensation. All of those things are coming and going. So the remembering is a quality of mind that belongs to impermanence and arises and takes over your nervous system and does whatever it does and then proceeds and is gone. And now the quality of mind is something else and then it's gone and then it's something else. But it is what's happening in the moment. Whenever it's happening, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And right. what's intrinsic in that? You know, what is what what is it that you can actually own in that? Right. right. And, and if you go looking for it, right, you go looking for the memories, that's another. Then you're off. Right, right, right. It's it's as if you're walking up your stairs and you got the photo of the parents every day. You see them, hey, mom, dad, you know. But are you missing your life? Are you out there in the world? Running that story, and are you look at that? Are you, you know, in that is example, this example, are you out of your life because of that memory, right. or are you just seeing it every time you pass the picture? I mean, just imagine naturally when you pass that picture, you should, yeah, yeah. Well, just when you jump at it, you yeah. know, and then well, maybe we should talk about you're brushing your teeth, maybe I shouldn't talk about it. Watch your strength, see it again the next day, right? It's, it's, it's rising, people, one of the 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 somewhat prevalent modern diseases with the birth of the internet is people become addicted with online porn. And I could never understand that. I just couldn't. I mean, I understand looking at a beautiful body, but to, to make a habit out of looking at pictures? I mean, even when I was a kid and I saw my first Playboy, I thought that was a little strange. Looked at it. I mean, the difference but, I, mean, talking I never about is became like addicted music, with porn because why would you want to look at something when it, you can't really do it? I mean, it's, to me, it's like looking at a, at a, at a, a little people get addicted to every dollar box. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really. So, but but again, it shows the depth that we would that human beings can get addicted to something that is a complete fabrication. Humans get addicted to everything. Regardless of how, how much sense it makes or not. Yeah, I know. Um, Julia, hi. I think we're moving on. Yes. I think you're next one. Oh. Rom? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Good? Okay. Thanks for the teaching, Brian. Sure. Um, I'm also going to take noble silence. Thank you. Glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, who else do we have left? I'm still thinking about pine needles. So. Kevin? Kevin? I think I've said enough, Brian. Well done. You, uh, you didn't misplace a word, so very Good well done. Good to see done. you, my friend. Thank you. Good, Good to see you.
I'll say it after, after class. That's just the sure. nature of everyone's time. Yeah. Matt? Right. Thank you, sir. Wonderful teaching. Um, I'm also going to take notes on David? Just thank you, Brian. I, I'm, I'm always a bit uh, in awe of your command and your just insights. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, John, did you have anything else? No. Uh, <laughs> Ram says no. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I'll just say it really was a great teaching. Um, would somebody like to read Meta? I have the uh, I have the website version, not the latest and greatest. Here it is. I think I posted this up there. On the website? Yeah. Uh, let me check. Not, I I'll check it too. I thought I put it in the uh, Let me look real quick. Nope, it's still the uh, it's still the should. Okay. I'll do it. Thank you, David. No problem. So uh, get in your meditation space. This is what is to, this is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They, always, they are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and, not, and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill, we, Ill, Ill will with ease, never harming an, uh, upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with the boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. They maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths, having completed the path. They are not born again into this world. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Um, while, while I have everybody, just a, a PSA, uh, I do teach a Monday class at 3.30 Eastern. That is on the calendar. If anybody would like to join that, you are, of course, more than welcome. Uh, we'll be starting the Four Noble Truths here next week. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.org.
www.thinkingmusicgroup.com. Thank you. Peace.